It's About Time is uh, the title for our series of studies in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. A ten-part series in which he addresses the three dimensions of time, past, present, and future, as they shape, challenge, and perfect our lives as disciples of Christ. The past the experiences, the things that have happened, the way God's been working in your life, the present, the challenges you're facing today that are unique to this day and to this time setting, and the future, what lies ahead in God's great plan for us. Today we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Pastor Ed read it. And we're thinking about challenges. Last week, I read uh, from the introduction to a book called The Road Less Traveled, in which uh, Dr. M. Scott Peck says to us, life is difficult. This is a great truth. It is one of the greatest truths. Because once we embrace the idea that life is difficult, that life is supposed to be difficult, then it no longer matters that life is difficult because we transcend the idea. We pick up at verse 1 of chapter 3, and Paul says, So when we could stand it no longer. Remember, Paul has been to Thessalonica, preached the gospel, watched people come to Christ, but then before he had a chance to train them, to disciple them, to help them get started in their faith, he was forced to leave by opposition. He had fled to Berea, and Thessalonians had followed him to Berea and chased him out of there. And then he went on to Athens to hide out, as he's going to talk about in just a moment. Okay, But uh, he's now down in Athens, actually in Corinth by the time he writes this letter, and he's wondering what happened to the Thessalonians. He's curious because he invested his life. He risked his life to preach the gospel to them. Now he doesn't know how they're doing. So when we could stand it no longer, he says, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So we sent Timothy. Timothy's one of Paul's disciples, one of his uh, co-workers in the faith, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Paul knew that it wouldn't be safe either for the Thessalonians or for him, for him to return to Thessalonica. So he sent Timothy, so that no one would be unsettled, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. Well, that's what M. Scott Peck said, right? <laughs> He said, when we signed up to be apostles and spread the gospel to the world, we didn't sign, sign up for an easy assignment, and we don't expect it to be easy. We expect there to be opposition and trouble wherever we go, and you know quite well we're destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. Now, that's unusual because people don't usually tell people who they're inviting to put their faith in Christ today that they're going to be persecuted. <laughs> but the truth is that as long as you're in this world, 
and you belong to Christ, life here is going to be difficult for you because you're not home yet. Paul said, we told you that. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that your labors might have been, our labors might have been in vain. Paul's concerned about the Thessalonians, so he writes. And he reminds us here of uh, one great truth about our lives as followers of Christ. It is a battle, and battles involve warfare. Life for us as Christians is a battle, and our winning is significant, is important, has ramifications in all of the spiritual world. Our lives here may seem small, but they are a small but important part of the great eternal struggle between good and evil. There has been a war going on since before the creation of mankind. Okay? And now as followers of God, we've been caught up in it. We've been uh, left in the crossfire. <laughs> and uh, the battle rages on. What kind of attitudes ought soldiers, those in a battle, to have? What kinds of characteristics ought to mark us as followers of Christ, members, we might say, of Christ's army, an army that fights a little differently than the armies of this world fight, but an army nonetheless. A good example, I think, was this man, born uh, at the end of the uh, 19th century in the late 1800s. William Borden was born, and he looks sort of rich there, doesn't he? He was born to a very wealthy family. Uh, the Bordens, yeah, that's the Borden milk people, by the way, they were enormously wealthy. And so when William, their youngest son, graduated from high school in 1904, uh, they gave him what most of you give your children when they graduate. They gave him a trip around the world. Oh, no, that's not what we give our children. Right? But because they were wealthy, and, and there they kind of had a... Uh, an ulterior motive. They thought, well, he's going to have to someday take over our business. And he seems pretty immature now. So maybe if we give him a trip around the world, he'll gain worldly knowledge that will help him later do a good job of managing our business. So they sent him out around the world. However, <laughs> they had a rude awakening when about halfway through the trip around the world, he wrote back to them, and he wrote back about how his view of the troubled and hurting people of the world had affected him. And at the end of the letter, he said, Therefore, I'm going to give my life to God and to being a missionary. They were not happy to hear this. And in fact, tried to talk him out of it. But he was set. In fact, when he got home, um, in the back front of his Bible, he wrote two words. No reserves. In other words, I'm doing this, and I'm not holding anything back. I'm going to follow Christ, and I'm going to follow Him wherever it leads, wherever I have to go. So he goes off to college at Yale, and then uh, graduate school 
at Princeton, and while he's there, he has an enormous effect on the other students at both schools. He's immediately looked upon as a significant leader and as the first person for many of them that they had ever met who really took the claims of Christ seriously. <laughs> that is, really believed that Jesus was someone who asked for our total and 100% allegiance. And so he wrote, uh, friends back home were disturbed by his new religious bent. One of them wrote about him, Bill has given his way, life away as a missionary. He wrote two more words in the front of his Bible. Uh, he wrote, in addition to no reserves, no retreats. I'm not turning back. No matter how difficult this journey becomes, I'm not quitting. No reserves, no retreats. And so, um, after college, he headed off on his missionary venture. First, he went to Egypt. That's where he would begin because he needed to learn Arabic for the purpose of preaching the gospel to the Muslim world. And while in Egypt, he contracted meningitis and died within weeks. Um, later, when they got a copy of his Bible, they found the second set of third set of words that he had written, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. No regrets, really? He never got to serve. <laughs> he learned some Arabic, probably a few phrases and a little vocabulary, and was never able to preach the gospel in it. How could it possibly be no regrets? Well, no regrets because the whole point was he was going to give himself wholeheartedly to the cause of Christ. And in fact, he had. Later, uh, on his tombstone, his biographer had uh, chiseled in the words, apart from Christ, there is no explanation for a life like his. What a testimony. It's particularly remarkable because of where his grave is located. It's located in a, a, a poor people's cemetery in Cairo, just down the block from King Tut's tomb. It's remarkable because in King Tut's tomb was somebody who thought you could take it all with you, right? Somebody who had incredible beyond your imagination wealth and who also died evidently young. And so they filled his uh, uh, casket, his uh, dwelling place for all eternity with all of these riches and gold and wealth. But in the poor people's cemetery, William Borden is buried with the words, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Now, the question is, is how that measures up to Paul's life? And then after we compare it, what Paul said, we knew we would suffer for following Christ. It shouldn't have taken us by surprise. And even though you Thessalonians are brand new Christians, shouldn't catch you by surprise. We're part of a battle here, and we're caught in the crossfire. Did it catch you by surprise? In America, it wouldn't be surprising if it would, because most of us come to Christ because they think it'll make us happier. And I think in the end run, it certainly does. But that's not the point, is it? Or maybe you think, well, it's a better way to live. 
or it's a better way to be successful. And all those things may be true, but it's important to remember we're here in a battle. So Paul continues, But Timothy has just now come to us from you. So Paul sends Timothy to Thessalonica because he's concerned about how the Thessalonians could possibly keep growing in their faith without his help. I'm reminded of, uh, of the experience in China when missionaries were forced to go home at the beginning of Mao's reign. And he was going to purge China of all Christianity. And so, sadly, the missionaries left thinking, oh no, uh, America, Europe, please pray for the church in China. It will certainly perish under Mao. Then years later, when Mao decided to open things up just a little bit, word came out the church had flourished during that time. The worst possible persecution, and yet Christians understanding that we're called to a battle. Timothy has just now come to us from you, and he has brought good news about your faith and your love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Life is a goal. Life is a battle. Life is a goal toward which we reach. It's like a finish line, <laughs> yet ahead. I don't know if you've ever run in a distance race, but when you do, at the end you get tired and you start looking in the distance, hoping you see the finish line ahead. Usually there are some people gathered at the finish line, and sometimes you listen for the noise of the chatter or of the cheers of, if you're like me, all the runners that finished ahead of you. Okay, But the thing is, that's what the Christian life is like. Finish line is ahead of us, and we're not finished till we get there. Sometimes people, after they've served Christ for a long time, may begin to think <laughs> that their work is done. And of course, their work is not done. <laughs> as long as you're still breathing, as long as you're still moving, if God has you here, He has you here for a purpose. Now, if you're asking me to further explain to you what that purpose might be, he's not going to tell me, but that he has a purpose seems clear. Our objective here is a small but divinely ordained part of God's redemptive plan for mankind. Many people will wonder, even the Apostle John at the end of of his great revelation at the end of the Bible, wondered, how much longer, God? <laughs> and the truth is, 
that God is driven by a far different motive than we are. We'd like the end to come soon, wouldn't we? Because then life will be a lot easier for us. But God cares about lost humanity. God cares about people who need yet to hear the gospel. God cares about people who will yet be part of His family. But they haven't heard the word yet. They haven't got to the point where they can respond to the word. C.T. Studd was a remarkable man. uh, Known as a famous cricket player. He had made... uh, some wealth and a great deal of fame as a cricketer in uh, England. Later, he left that to follow Christ as a missionary himself. Studd was known, in addition to other things, as a poet. And he wrote a poem uh, of which two lines have become quite famous. But it's a lengthy poem with the two lines repeated. And you do well to hear the whole poem today. He wrote, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only will one life will soon be fast. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. For only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. For only one life will soon And only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years. Each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So when this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when I at last shall hear Thy call, I know I will say, Twas worth it all. For only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So Paul concludes this chapter. Now may our God and Father, it's a prayer, 
himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come. We'd still like to revisit Thessalonica. We'd like to see you. We'd like to be encouraged by seeing you eye to eye. Thankful for this report from Timothy, but we'd like to see it for ourselves. So may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Do you catch the change of attitude? Paul says, when we sent Timothy to you, we sent him because we were afraid of what we were going to hear. (laughs) We were afraid we were going to hear that you all left the faith or had distorted your belief, your pure belief in Christ. And we'd have to go back at risk of our lives to get you corrected. But that's not what we heard. (laughs) We heard that you are indeed following Christ. And now I'd like to go even more so that you can encourage me by your testimony. Amazing. May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Life here for us, a blessing we must seek to obtain. Living without God's blessing on your life is to miss the whole point of life. For everything that God has made, he has made to glorify himself. And his glory shown in your life is the real blessing you're looking for. Our great desire here to be a small but powerful part of fulfilling God's holy purposes. I remember reading a story one time of an elderly missionary couple. They had spent their entire lives serving Christ in Africa and were now traveling home They were traveling home because their service in Africa was finished. They were tired, weary, and a bit discouraged. As they traveled, they became aware that they were traveling with a dignitary because they saw around them all the signs of it. Traveling also on their ship was President Teddy Roosevelt. He was coming back from a big game hunting expedition in Africa. As they traveled, the missionaries became more and more discouraged at the attention given the president and no attention or even recognition of their service for them. Then at last, as they approached New York Harbor, the old missionary man looked over the railing and noticed the bands and the press gathering for the arrival of the president. He could stand it no longer and so he prayed out loud. God, we've given our whole lives to you. We sacrificed everything for your service. Now we're coming home. No welcome for us. Nobody there to hear our story. Nobody there to welcome us home. When he paused, he heard the Lord softly speak to him. My son, you're not home yet. True of us as well. If you're expecting God's best to be yours 
in this world, <laughs> you need to recognize this world is not our home. The best that God has to provide waits for us. <laughs> waits for us on the other side, as they say, in the next stage of life for us as believers. Yes, God's goodness is rich in our lives, but you haven't seen anything yet. Why? Because you're not home yet. Well, this second section of First Thessalonians deals with the present. And the key word is this. Respond. That is, when challenges come, how will you respond? Regarding the experiences of the past, remember... Remember what God has done. Remember how God has moved, how God has worked. But regarding the challenges of the present, react, respond. Respond in a manner that demonstrates the level of your faith. That demonstrates your understanding that this world, in fact, is not our home. That the challenges you face have eternal implications. As you follow Christ. Several great inspirational speakers have used this challenge. I use it for you. There are challenges everywhere around us in this world. Who's going to make a difference? If not you, then who? If not now, then when? When the lessons of our past clearly in mind. And the hope we've been given for the future unfolding before us. How will we respond to the challenges we encounter today? For homework this week. If life is a battle, are you still fighting? I don't know if you ever watch boxing matches, but one of the things that tragically happens as a boxing match goes on our boxers drop their gloves that's not a good idea because they're protecting your face all right but it's hard to keep your when you become greatly fatigued i kind of get that picture of a lot of christians as the fight goes on and on and on and the opponent seems not to be getting as tired as we are it's easy to drop your hands don't do it don't do it the fight rages on. Keep your gloves up. If life is a goal, are you still running? There's nothing more tragic than quitting before the finish line. When you run in a distance race, particularly if it's a recreational distance race where there are lots of amateurs running, you'll see many people who finish the race walking <laughs> and some people who finish the race crawling. <laughs> And that's beautiful. It's often more inspirational than the people who won the race. Because they're refusing to quit before the finish line. Don't do that. Third, if life is a blessing, are you still enjoying it? The blessing of knowing, the blessing is this. Someday, you'll have the blessing of being in heaven with God. Because that's exactly where he ordained for you to be. But guess what? He ordained for you to be right here where you are right now. 
<laughs> Are you enjoying it? If you're not, you're missing something because there is nothing more enjoyable in life than being exactly where God wants you to be, doing exactly what God has called you to do. Our present day challenges. As individuals, as a church, let's face them with courage. Let's remember the words of uh, men like, uh, and women like William Borden. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Let's pray. Father, we're asking your blessing now upon our lives as we continue on in the midst of the fight, only halfway through the race, having not yet Embrace the fullness of your blessing. Give us courage to keep on fighting, to keep on running, to keep on looking to heaven. In Jesus' name.